very good morning to you, Crossing Church. It's a wonderful privilege once again to preach the Word of God to you this morning, and uh, we're going to have a great time together. Uh, my name is Brad, and uh, with my wife Sharissa and my four beautiful children, we get to be a part of the leadership at the Crossing Church, and it's an incredible privilege. So, um, this morning, I find it absolutely amazing that um, the preparation that we made for the preaching of this year, uh, we did in November last year, and uh, once again, the, the planning is actually incredible. Little did we know that we'd face what we've had to face in 2020, this far with the COVID-19 and all these um, kind of issues. And as we've been going through the scriptures, as we've been preaching through the book of Acts and felt like that would be something that would, would uh, strengthen our trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, that would um, encourage us and grant us great courage and then also just to, as we near the kind of end of the book of Acts um, at the re in the rest of the year, uh, the role that we as individuals all play and the testimony that every one of us carry for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom. All of these things that we planned, we're actually finding God is using them so, um, you know, it's, <laughs> so synchronized and so perfectly on time and in step. And so you'll find uh, this morning in lots of events, that have taken place in the past week, uh, things that are happening all around the world. Um, you'll find that uh, what Jesus has to say to us through the word is once again so empowering, so real. He doesn't change. His spirit doesn't change. His word, uh, the, the fact that sinners still need a savior doesn't change. The fact that the saints and those that are set apart by God still have uh, a call and a commission and that hasn't changed. And uh, we'll find that this word that is 2,000 years old is perfectly fitted to 2020 in the events that have taken place and uh, we still need to do what we need to do as God's people with courage in our hearts and Jesus is still doing what he does. Uh, so it's a wonderful thing. Let me pray for us and then we'll get straight into the passage and uh, trust that you be touched and really encouraged today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you God for your incredible favor, your incredible love for us. We thank you that your presence is real. I pray right now that the Spirit of God would, would arrest and would draw the attention of every single person that is in front of a screen right now. And I thank you, Jesus, that you would stir them with the sense of who they are, that they belong to you, Heavenly Father, in heaven, that we belong to one family, and that we've got a purpose to extend this family to the ends of the earth. And I pray, God, that every one of us starting in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, going beyond to those that are around us and those that are strangely different to us all around the world. Oh God, use us by the power of your spirit to bring your kingdom to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. I trust you'll be strengthened and encouraged. Really, this is uh, going to be a good word. I, I'm encouraged by it. So last week, we had Alan Parfit with us, and uh, again, he preached from the book of Acts and, and looked at the life of Paul, which was so informative and so encouraging. I do encourage you, go back and listen to those sermons uh, the Saturday, just on the fact that we have a Father in heaven, and He hears our prayers, He sees our lives, and He knows what to do. I mean, He, he knows us, which is amazing. And then He spoke about these times of going through storms, and uh, those that have the Word of God in their lives really have got something solid when it comes to the shakiness of storms. We're all in a storm at the moment, but uh, we're in different boats, and God might have different plans and purposes for you and for your boat. But uh, let's trust that the same, the God who can command the storms to still in one minute would cause such peace to come to our hearts. Right, so God wants to speak to us. 
The week before that, Acts chapter 10, we saw this incredible household of Cornelius and all the things that Cornelius did would draw the attention of heaven. And so Cornelius was a man who lived uh, praying to God, a righteous man, a man who was a Roman soldier, a Gentile in the eyes of the Jews, someone to be pushed away and rejected. Uh, incredible that God has to uh, change the paradigm for a Jew like Peter, who, who would have been adamant to stick to his people. Uh, God has to shame his vision and change his whole paradigm so that he would dare to step into a Gentile's home. And he starts to preach the gospel in this Gentile's home and sees the same spirit that was in him, that had fallen upon him at Pentecost, that was breathed into him by Jesus, when Jesus before Jesus ascended into heaven. That same spirit was now, as he was preaching, they got born again and were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they could see that this family had been accepted by God in, the, in exactly the same way that them as the Jewish nation had been accepted. And it was a, a major paradigm shift that had taken place for these Jewish people to understand that the Spirit of God is not just about one particular people, but is about all people and all nations. And uh, the Spirit of God is wanting to reach out and touch His people. So He has, has to, in the beginning of chapter 7, has to go and explain Himself because uh, the religious leaders are now... Uh, criticizing him and questioning him and saying, but you've, you've gone and you've mixed with Gentiles. You ate with them. You stayed in their home. You, in fact, you invited them into your own home. What is this? And so he goes to explain everything that we looked at in chapter 10. And he says, guys, the same salvation, the same repentance, the same faith in the same Lord Jesus Christ that produces the powerful kingdom and the expression of the Spirit and the, and the outpouring of the Spirit, that same kingdom, heaven, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is available to everyone. And uh, they agree, which is quite amazing. At the same time, while, while this is going on, we remember if we backtrack a little bit, uh, there was a day when Stephen was being stoned. And Stephen, there was this internal struggle that was really taking place because there were Jews who were now following Jesus and there were Jews who were all about the law and all about the temple. And uh, to this day, there's still that rift and uh, the, the Jesus for the Jews became Jesus for everyone else. And certain Jews have stuck to themselves, but certain Jews have followed Christ. And that internal struggle had the religious kind of Jew like Saul, who would stand and hold the cloaks of those that were stoning Stephen, the Christian Jew, the Jew after Jesus, and would, would stone uh, Stephen. And he would give approval for that. And he set his heart to be enemy number one. If anything was about Jesus, he would be enemy number one to Jesus. And in fact... Jesus saw Saul as enemy number one. And you see in chapter nine, Saul says, why are you persecuting me? And he turns Saul's life around completely, just in a, in a moment. I mean, what a way to treat your enemy by saving them. And Jesus is enemy number one. It's not the devil. Enemy number one was Saul on the earth. And he turns his life around and says, I'm going to use you. I've chosen you as an apostle to be a mouthpiece for me. <laughs> and uh, he can't resist the Lord. Who can resist the love of the Lord? Who can resist the glory of the Lord? Who can resist Him? And I'll tell you, it's when you come to taste the glory and the, and the beauty of Jesus, just, the, just hearing about Him, just seeing Him, just loving Him, your whole life has changed. You can't help. Something wells up inside of you. And the faith that you, you need to believe in Him is there because the Spirit is doing a work inside of you. It's an incredible thing. And so uh, the, the Jews who, who believed in Jesus started to scatter uh, throughout the Roman Empire, as it were. And uh, it wasn't um, that there were no friends for these Jews to find, because uh, generations and, and, and history would have it that when the Greeks would invade um, the, you know, the, under 
uh, Alexander the Great and when it was the Persians attacking Israel and when it, now when the Roman Empire was attacking Israel, these enemies had a kind of divide and conquer strategy and they would take um, a nation that they were attacking and just split them up throughout their region so they couldn't really form an army or, or have some kind of uh, united attack. And so the, the Jews uh, are spread around the whole Roman Empire as it were already and it sets up synagogues in their new home countries in all these places and, uh, but st stuck to the Jewish laws and stuck to their Jewish heritage and stuck to the Jewish way of worshipping God. But some of them in those different places had come to have a tolerance and an appreciation of different philosophies and of different thinking and of different um, understandings of culture, even though they stuck to their purposes and stuck to the, the, the worship of God. And so this is where we kind of catch the story where these Christians are being thrust out uh, from Jerusalem. It says, now those who had been scattered, from verse 19, Acts 11, from verse 19, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, uh, speaking the word to no one except Jews. To no one except Jews. Isn't that interesting? They're kind of like, we, we're going to stick to our people. We're going to focus on our people. Uh, there's those other people, there's those strange people, there's those different people, those Gentile people. Uh, we're, we're not interested in those, but uh, we're going to stick to our people. But there are some of them, men from Cyprus and men from Cyrene, that's uh, North Africa, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks and also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. So now they're speaking to the Greeks. There's, they, they probably would have had a campaign uh, called hashtag Greek lives matter. <laughs> and uh, so these Jews are, are um, understanding the different cultures that they come from. But they speak into the Greeks and they're proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes the Lord's hand is with people that we don't think should be doing the things they're doing. Sometimes the Lord's hand is with people that we would perhaps tell them, that our hand is not with them. We, we don't really want them to do what they're doing. Uh, take the gospel to the Jews. Don't take the gospel to the Greeks. But the Lord's hand was with them. And it says this, And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. When he went to Tarsus to search for, then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. Remember, Saul had been introduced by Barnabas to the Jews, uh, to the, the um, apostles, to Peter and James, and then he kind of withdrew for a while to his own hometown, which was a, a Roman colony, had a lot of Greek universities and philo uh, philosophy had uh, the synagogue of Gamaliel. So Saul in that place would have learned in his previous years everything he needed to know about the pharisaical way of doing the Jewish life. But at the same time, he understood Greek philosophy. And at the same time, he was a Roman citizen, possibly granted that uh, by, uh, by his family who were tent makers. And a tent making business in the days of the Roman armies would have made a lot of money because they would set up their tents wherever they went to go fight. And so they were granted Roman citizenship. So you had this, this man, Saul, with this multicultural understanding, is now born again and has been spending time in Tarsus. And Barnabas knows if he needs someone who can help him with 
the other people, he's going to go after Saul, who understands the Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish way, understands the Greek philosophy and the way people think, and is a Roman, and is almost accepted by the Gentiles, and he says, that's the guy I need. I'm going to go after him. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. By the way, Saul is the uh, Jewish name for, for Paul, and Paul is the Gentile name for Saul. So it's not like Saul became Paul, it's just he had two names effectively. To the Jews, he was known as Paul, uh, Saul. To the Gentiles, he was known as Paul. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. For a whole year. So yeah, Barnabas and Saul are teaching, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. I mean, isn't this amazing? He has a prophetic word before something happens. A lot of the, unfortunately, folk, a lot of the prophetic words that we're hearing and seeing now are responsive prophetic words where people are seeing things happen and then trying to kind of deduce and and, and interpret the things and then trying to prophesy as a result of that. And I mean, before there was COVID-19, you would never hear any kind of prophecy to do with this chapter 19 and this kind. You would never even hear of it at all. And people have come up with all kinds of stories, all kinds of revelations as now COVID-19 and then 666 and all. You would never have heard of it before. Now all of a sudden people are saying, this is it. But what we see in the scripture here is this Agabus, a true prophet, he's predicting by the Spirit something that's about to happen. And so there's not even a famine yet, but the Holy Spirit is already revealing it to this Agabus, a prophet, and showing him what's about to happen. And so this is a, someone that you can listen to. And he says, uh, one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. So the thing that was prophesied before it ever happened, happened in the days of Claudius. And there it is written for us. And so that's what you really want. Uh, pr prophecy that comes from the Spirit is prophecy that's going to take place. Uh, you've got a lot of prophecies that have been spoken that have never happened, won't happen. Some prophecies are still to come, which are written in the balance of Scripture that we can believe in and trust in. But um, these kind of on-the-spot type prophecies um, are important that the Spirit is in it and that there's what is being said actually takes place. I mean, how do you know if someone's a prophet or not? When they prophesy and it comes true, they were a prophet. If they prophesy and it doesn't come true, then it's a false prophet. Uh, prophet. So they won't profit anyone much at all. <laughs> and so it says this took place during the reign of Claudius. And so this is prophesied. They get ready for it. And it says this in verse 29. I love this. Each of the disciples, according each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and the sisters who lived in Judea. They did this sending it to the elders by the means of Barnabas and Saul. Now, isn't that amazing that these Gentile folk, those that would have been rejected, are the ones who each, according to their ability, are giving relief to the Jewish folk, the ones who might have said, well, only Jewish lives matter, are now receiving the reality of these Christians who declare that all lives matter. And not just all lives matter, folk, but it's the lives that are hurt, the lives that are being affected, the lives that are being broken, the lives that are being touched. Every one of us needs to understand 
Jesus sees those loves. He loves those loves. At the end of the day, Jesus' life matters. Eternal life matters. All lives matter. But in my mind, I need to always be considerate of the fact that the people not like me are the lives that matter. Because a lot of the times I want to say my life matters and all the things to do with my life matter. And all lives matter, so that includes me, not just those who matter. But I tell you what, it's, it's not just your life. You have to think beyond your life. You have to think beyond your household. You have to think beyond your nation. You have to think beyond your race, beyond your political understanding, beyond your theology sometimes. And you have to think about those that really matter to God. I tell you, it's an incredible thing. So we've got this racism that is clearly highlighted in the scripture, those that only went after the Jews. But you had these others and you have these bridge builders like Barnabas, who's not afraid to build a bridge. He's not afraid to build with a Saul. He's not afraid to take a Saul who's in Tarsus, in a Roman place, who's got Greek understanding, who's come to know Jesus. He's not afraid to build a bridge with him. I tell you, these days, folk, we need to be people who are bridge builders. Barnabas is a brilliant example of somebody, uh, along with those that went and preached to the Greeks, a brilliant example of somebody who's willing to befriend, willing to learn from, willing to spend time with and understand and be about the other people. You see, the Holy Spirit said in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, let me just ask you something. You need a lot of power to even tell your own people in your own household about Jesus. I know that for some of the husbands that are listening to me right now, you need to tell your wife about Jesus. You need to tell your partner about Jesus. For some of you wives, you need to be telling your husband about Jesus. For some of you parents, you need to be telling your children about Jesus. And this is true. The people in your own household, you need the Spirit of God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the people in your own home about Jesus. That's your Jerusalem. That's where God is at home in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, now you've got to go and tell in your own home. The temple is now the people, effectively. But the, this point, that we need power from the Holy Spirit to help us tell about Jesus in our own homes. What about power from the Holy Spirit to tell about Jesus in Judea? And Judea is like the neighbors, the neighbors of Jerusalem. Judea is, is those in my immediate vicinity, those that are near to me. You need power from the Holy Spirit that you would be able to even tell your neighbors about Jesus. And I tell you, we might build up a bit of courage and a bit of strength and, and we'll be a courageous church if we can at least step out and tell our neighbors about Jesus on the, on the community groups that we're all a part of and all the nonsense that goes on in those things. Um, most times they set up for security reasons and so that people can know what's going on in a community, but then it just becomes a gossip for all. But I tell you, rather, it'll take power and courage for you to declare on those kind of things that you're a follower of Jesus. And then you've got to match your testimony with the life and, and the words and the things that you say and do. Uh, but I tell you, you need power when it comes to moving from Jerusalem to Samaria. Because Samaria now, and if you remember the Samaritans, we're not like the Jews. The, the, they were kind of like a half-breed. They were kind of a mix because they were Jews, but they were also intermingled with, with Moabites and Ammonites and all these, these different kind of nations through the, through the history of Israel. And they came to a point where they said, well, the, the Jews don't want us in their temple. We are Jews, but we're also mixed with some of the other nations, so they don't want us. So we'll have our own temple. We'll have our own mountain. And it's like they had their own way of doing God. 
their own way of doing religion. And they were just, they were kind of a half-breed. And I tell you, we need courage to go, to go and approach those who need Jesus, who are like us, but just a little bit, not quite like us. There's, there's something mixed in there, but we're still happy that, that we'll, we'll reach out to them because they're a little bit like us. <laughs> Folk, and then it says, the Holy Spirit will give you power to be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what you're starting to see in this passage is the Holy Spirit starting to take people even through the persecution, even in the time of famine. I'm telling you now, even in this lockdown, even in these times of dealing with COVID-19, even in all these things, God is preparing a people because the Holy Spirit is wanting to show us things. He's even showing us on the news how black and whites are fighting all over the world. He's showing us on the news the desperate states of humanity. And I tell you, while the world is trying to separate, the Spirit of God is trying to unite. While the world is trying to say, you this and I'm that, and we follow this person, we do, we're that person. We're, I mean, it's, it's crazy the way people try and divide themselves over things and stand um, over a kind of chasm away from each other where the Spirit of God is wanting to use this, this messing up of our affairs and to show us that He wants to reach people, that He wants to reach people not like us, that He wants to take this gospel, this witness of Jesus, that we so proudly declare in our own home, in our own church, it's got to go beyond these walls. And maybe the Lord's actually allowed us to be outside the walls for a while so that we can realize that it's for the sake of our neighbors, for those that are mixed up, that we think are mixed up, and for those that are completely different. The Spirit of God is stirring us at this time so that we would get so courageous that we'd go to the places that are uncomfortable. At the moment, it's even uncomfortable to go to the shops. At the moment, it's even uncomfortable to want to get together in church again. It's uncomfortable to figure out how to socially distance with a mask and you can't have coffee and you've got to keep all these things, only 50 people in. It's uncomfortable. But I tell you what, perhaps God wants to get us ready and get us used to what it means to have the Spirit of God fill us and touch us and empower us so that we would go to the places where it's uncomfortable and bring Jesus and the witness of Jesus to them. That's got to be the most important thing. And so the Spirit of God is starting to stir these people to go to the places that are uncomfortable. Will you be a bridge builder like Barnabas? He's an incredible guy. I mean, it, talks, it says about Barnabas, if you've read before, Barnabas owned land in Jerusalem. He's of the Levite families who were never given land. But as a, as a Jew from a Levite family, he had acquired land and he owned land in the promised land. He sells that so that he can serve God. He lays the money at the apostles' feet. Remember, an apostle is a sent one. And the feet, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. He takes all the value that he would have had out of, out of owning a piece of the promised land as a Jew. He takes it, sells it, and lays the money at the apostles' feet, the sent ones, the feet sent out with the good news of God. And he says, I'm putting all my value at this. And he becomes someone that starts to live, not just for the inheritance of having land, but the inheritance of seeing nations reached and nations and other people touched for the sake of the gospel. Barnabas is an incredible man. It's, they called him the son of encouragement. His name actually also means son of rest. You know, there's some people you can be around and you just kind of feel edgy around them. There's some people you can be around that you just feel at peace with. And I want to ask you, what kind of bridge builder are you? Are you the kind of person that, that is a peacemaker? That when you, when you walk into a room, people feel at peace because you're there. Different cultures can feel at peace because there's a link, there's a bridge because you're there. I tell you, do you 
What do you bring to people? Do you bring your argument? Do you, do you push people to have peace with you over particular issues? Or do you bring the peace of God, which is, transcends all understanding and all figuring out of the things in our minds? The peace of God. Do you allow for people to find peace with God? This is the kind of thing. Barnabas, a son of peace, a son of rest, a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus, because they shall be called sons of God. Can you be a peacemaker in these times when everybody's trying to say that my life matters? Folk, everybody needs the peace of God. And it's the peace of God that will bring the peace between men. And so when we bring that, what kind of person are you? Do you bring the fight? Do you bring your wall? Do you, do you bring your stance and your opinion? Do you bring that? Do you only reshare the stuff that supports what you believe? Or do you reshare the peace of Christ? I tell you, it's something we need to do. And he's an incredible man, but it says this about him. It says he's a good man. What made him good? What makes anyone good? I tell you what, folks, to be a Christian, there's nothing good in us. There's no amount of good works, no amount of being a good Christian will ever make you good, ever. The only thing that makes you good is this. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. The only reason he was good, because the Holy Spirit, the good spirit, the, the best spirit there is, the only spirit, the holy, set apart, good spirit of God, he was full of him. And when you're full of the good spirit of God, the good spirit of God flows out. There was no Barnabas making Barnabas good. There was only Holy Spirit making Barnabas good and Holy Spirit doing good through Barnabas. And then it says he was full of faith. And again, folk, it's our faith in Jesus that makes us good. Not our faith to then go do good works in order to be good. No, Jesus says this. God says this, you are justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. And your faith is this, that you trust Christ, the complete work of Christ, the complete doing of Christ to include you in his family. No amount of your nationality, no amount of your identity, no amount of your performance, no amount of your being good, being Christian, obeying all the words in the Bible. None of that's going to make you good in his sight. The only thing that makes you good is to trust in the one who did the good work and his name is Jesus. He finished it all. He completed it all. He said, it is finished. And when you put your faith in that, your trust in that, you lean into that finished work. That's what God's, God looks at you and he says, you're good. Because you trusted in the only one who's good. And that's Jesus. Christian. Dare I call you a Christian if you've been trusting in anything else. I do hope you've been trusting in Jesus. If you trust in him, you're good. And then it's amazing. It says he finds that Paul and it says large numbers are added to the Lord. You know, they were not added to Barnabas. They were not added to Barnabas Ministries International. Barnabas didn't go around saying what a good person he was. Yes, I'm so good. I can do this. I've done that. Cheapest. He's the, the hero of his own story. No. He must have been talking about the Lord because it says numbers of people were added to the Lord. And then it goes on to say that they taught large numbers of disciples to the point where it says, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Fuck, what does it mean to be called a Christian? And this is not what they called themselves. This is what the outsiders called them. They had perhaps heard of this Christ. And when they looked at these people, they said, these people are just like Christ. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm a Christian. But what about when other people say, that's a Christian? Because these people were called Christians because obviously Christ in their lives. And if you look at the involvement of the Lord, of, of, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this passage alone, it says here that they... 
There was the good news of the Lord that was going forth. There was the hand of the Lord. People were turning to the Lord. There was the grace of the Lord. The people were being true to the Lord. They were being devoted to the Lord. They were being added to the Lord. You see, it's the involvement with the Lord that makes us the Lord's ones. You see, those who followed Herod were called Herodians. Those who followed Caesar were called Caesareans or Caesareans. (laughs) But those who followed Christ were Christ ones. Christians and the association with Jesus found them being labeled with Jesus. I want to ask you, who do you associate with? Is your association with a political party? Is your association with a a race or a group of people? Is your association with this or that or, or these things or philosophies or theologies or anything like that? Or is your association Jesus Christ? Because that's the only thing that makes you a Christian is your association and your identity with Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus in you, and if you're not associated with Christ, you're not fit to be called a Christian, and nobody should ever call you a Christian. And in fact, this is why the world sometimes sees something in Christians and something in Christ, and they can't understand the divide. Folk, if there's a divide, then we're not fit to be called His. But if we're united, it's because we're united to Him, and it's Him alone that gives us the identity that we need. Can we be courageous Christians who are courageous enough not to just call ourselves Christians by the mere fact that we want to look good and dress ourselves up as Christians, whatever that means. Actually, it's all about Christ. And if it's Christ in us, Christ through us, then that gives us the proof that we are Christians. But look what these Christians do. And how do I know if you're a Christian if you simply say you're one? Why would I call you a Christian when it comes to this incredible relief? That we see happening uh, in this famine. Folk, when you start to care about other people the way Jesus cares about other people, you're a Christian. And the way these people give, and I tell you, it's one of the things that we sometimes so scared of, and it's possibly the, the toughest thing that you would want to hear me say in a time where there's economic crisis. But for us to be a courageous church, we need to understand something. In a world of racism, the spirit of unity has been poured in the church. But in a world of famine, provision of God has been poured into the church. It's in the church, folk. The famine, the answer to it is God's people and God's things and God's homes and God's cottages and God's flats and God's rooms, and God's finances, and God's money, and all the things that the Christians who support and love and, and adore Christ, who said, you Lord of everything in my life, if, we, if, if everything I own is His, and it belongs to Him as Lord, as Master and owner of everything, if it is His, then He can call on me at any time to try and meet the needs of a famine. And I tell you, when we start to operate as Christians, then we start to realize each of the disciples according to his ability, determined to send relief to brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. Brothers and sisters, these are Gentiles in Antioch, calling brothers and sisters who are Jews in Jerusalem. (laughs) I mean, this is the power of what it means to be called a Christian. This is the power of what it means. And it says, and they did this, sending it to the elders. I mean, there's submission to leadership to handle what needs to be handled. Barnabas and Saul, the the best teachers Antioch has got for the last year they've been teaching, they send them. There's accountability. There's submission. There's this incredible laying at the apostles' feet and doing what's right before God where people need it. I want to ask you, if you've only got 
20 Rand, would you consider, according to your ability, to take 10% and to honor it and to honor God with it? So the two Rand goes to his kingdom. If God's put his money in your hands, and if God has put his finances in your hands, then consider what's yours and what's his. And if he's given you 2 million rand, 200,000 should be his. And we sometimes worry about that, those kind of numbers. But I tell you what, folk, whatever is his belongs to him. And whatever he wants to do with it is for the sake of those that need it. We're in a season where there's so much relief that's about to take place. There's a famine in the scripture, but there's the relief in the scripture. There's racism in the scripture, but there's the answer in the scripture, the bridge builders. I want to pray that you would be like a Barnabas. I want to pray that you would be like each of these disciples in this season. But don't do it if you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you today to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. A Christian is not somebody who does good things. A Christian is only good because of the one who's good, who's in them. You see, the source of everything Christian is Christ. And if it's not Christ, it's nothing. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that if you don't know Christ, that perhaps you said you're a Christian or you, you've been interested in being a Christian or you've been hating Christians and you've been resisting Christians, would you come back to the place where you realize who it's all about? It's about Christ. And I pray that anyone who's had hatred in their hearts towards any other nation, any other race, any other ethnic group. Today, Christ would show you that he loves them and he wants to change your heart so that you can love them because he loves you and he wants to place you in his family. And if you've got any means whatsoever, would you say, God, in little or in plenty, show me what you want me to use to respond to the prophetic word, to respond to the spirit of God, to reach out and help people who need it. In Jesus' name. I encourage you, folk. The Word of God is so good. It stirs in us every response that needs to please Him and glorify Him. And we see it in the face of these very issues 2,000 years ago. A Roman Empire that was much worse than the governments that we have today. Even in that time, God was doing amazing things to move His love and His kingdom and His Lordship everywhere. And I pray it would be yours. And... Uh, Again, the things that we see in these scriptures, the answers are there. And I'm trusting that you would love Jesus for it and trust him to use you and do amazing things through you. Amen.